0: from the hills reconfigure your life change your heart and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be welcome to the Hills Church this morning I'm, I'm speaking on a, something I titled embrace your preparation and I will just give some context you know we've heard that this year not just in this ministry it's almost everywhere you go the key scripture seems to be Isaiah 60 about light. I just want to read the first three verses and I'll read the amplified version to just put some context. Isaiah 60 verses 1 to 3 amplified. It says, Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. For your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and dense darkness all peoples. But the Lord shall arise upon you, O Jerusalem, and his glory shall be seen on you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And the word that came in this house at the beginning of the year was very accurate about glowing in the dark. Because that's what the scripture has always spoken to me. You see, if I brought a touchlight here now and put it on, it won't really make an impact because there's so much light. But the minute you dim all of the lights and put that touchlight on, it will be bright. So it is in darkness that you see light. And so we must have an understanding of what the darkness means and what it portends. It is not. So darkness brings fear, it breeds, they say all things happen in the night. But darkness is a season before the light. And so when you understand it and locate it properly, then you're able to handle it appropriately. And what was highlighted for me was the fact that it is darkness that covers the earth. And then even deeper darkness, the people. The perversion out there is crazy, but it's going to get deeper because that is how the light must shine in that space. The darker it is, the brighter the light will shine. What darkness always does is it brings shakings. It brings uncertainty. The, if, if you're at home and they, they, they cut power, immediately, for some people you get claustrophobic, you just feel a sense of bit lo- of loss because you can't see, you can't do anything. It hinders you from living normally. So it brings like a weight and a burden with it. But what glowing in the dark means is learning how to operate. You know, Americans, well, most soldiers now, they have night vision. So... They just put on those goggles and they go in the night and they can see and manoeuvre as they want to. That's literally what it's about. Now, I said darkness brings, uh, speaks of shakings, things that, upheaval comes and that accentuates the darkness. For seven plus years I've been saying it, these are times of shaking and If I go back to that Mount Sinai story, Hebrews 12 says in 26, thereabouts, it says, yet a little while, and I, this is the Lord saying, will shake, not just the earth. And in that scripture, if you cross reference, it speaks of that time in Mount Sinai when there was thundering and everything shook and there was fear. He says, I'm not just going to shake the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens as well. And only those things that are rooted in me will remain. And everything else will fall away. So, shakings come about and they destabilize us. They just make the darkness even descend more deeply. And so, despondence is the natural reaction to darkness and those shakings. But what has been highlighted for me is that those times are actually times of transition. Those times of darkness and shakings are actually times of transition so rather than see them as things that something happens you just say see my life everything is over it's a time to rise up and ask lord what are you trying to show me because if you think about it if he says he will shake everything and i mean everything he didn't say because he said if you are rooted in me you will still be shaken No, it's not that you'll be shaken but because your roots are deep you stay but the kind of shaking, you know, if you watch science fiction movies those days, when they say something gigabytes and you're going to mark four and blah, 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 blah and like that, that kind of shaking, it will shake everything in you, but you will remain because you are rooted. But at the end, what happens is you're standing. I think I've shared here before what the illustration God used to make me understand that scripture. Years ago, there was a tsunami in Asia that was major. The pictures of those things today scare me. When you see waves that are higher than a city with skyscrapers in excess of 100 floors, the waves are higher than that. Imagine seeing that coming. You can't outrun it now. You can't. Even if you took a, 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 a Concorde jet, it will catch you. Because when the wave has gone up, it must come down. And when it comes down, it, it goes miles before it lands, so it would bury everything in its path. It took down skyscrapers, just fl- tossed them in the sea. I saw a picture of an ocean liner, you know, those massive cruise liners cast on land. Then there was a picture of a reed-like plant standing. That's abnormal. It, this, this tsunami uprooted trees that have been there hundreds of years. But this reed was standing. Only God can do that. And that's what the picture for me was. That if your roots are in me, you will remain standing. So shakings are not meant to destroy you. They're meant to recalibrate things. So if you are last in line, at the end of the shaking, you'll be first in line. Because you're rooted in him. So it began to change my configuration of what shakings are. And it's been highlighted in this season because darkness, there's so much uncertainty. Where today is February 19th or 20th. It's as if we have done half a year already. So many things have happened and we're still confused and we'll remain confused except you follow God very closely. And so that's why the theme, Embrace Your Preparation, because a transition is a time to prepare for that It brings about change, but you must be prepared for that change. Otherwise, you will go with the flow and be just a river will carry you. If the analogy I gave of a plant staying, at the end of the shaking, you are still standing, there's a reason God left you. And you must be ready for that. I heard a man of God say a few days ago that really hit me and just activated this message. He said, preparation. Loss opportunity is equal to success, and I just anchored it for me, because if opportunity comes upon you and you're not ready, it's a waste, as she girl would say, "What a waste!" So you must be prepared when the opportunity presents itself and you see as the song used to say years ago opportunity knocks only just once it's it's quick it's lightning quick but if you're ready you receive it remember elijah he said to elijah i want to receive double portion of what you have and elijah said it's a hard thing but if you see me go you have it so he was like mr bean he would have put matches in his eye to make sure the eye didn't close no blinking When the opportunity came, he was prepared. And so, all you've heard, all that is happening, prophetic words given over you, your situation, looking at the words and looking at your situation, they don't match. It's a mismatch. In fact, it doesn't seem like it can ever happen. The issue is not what it looks like, the issue is if it happens, are you prepared? If that word that you've been holding on to came now, would you be ready? And that's where I think many of us miss it. Because somehow or the other way, when we hear the word of God, it, God will never put something upon you that is within your, the confines of your mind. It's always bigger than you can ever imagine. He will never give you something that you're comfortable with. The first reaction to what he gives you is fear. So, you can't get your head around what he's asking you to do because when you look at where you are, look at where he's taking you, or where his sin is taking you, you just can't. The point is that is the time you begin to prepare for that thing, even if you don't see it. Because when it comes, it will come like a thief in the night, and you will not be ready. And there's a reason the thing didn't sink because I'm now talking different from what I wrote. <laughs> but it is by the Spirit. And that's really what's been engaging my mind for a while. And that's what I want to just unburden to you guys this morning. It's very possible for a transition to come and you don't know it. And you go through it not knowing. And when it's over, you're lost. The opportunity is lost. You can't let that happen because not only are the times short, the stakes are very high now. Very high. If you miss it just an inch, it, it, the stakes are high. Let me just pull a few, a few examples in scripture to illustrate it very well for us. The story of Joseph, for one, you know, just to explain why those dark periods are actually times of preparation. The dreams Joseph had kind of signposted what God was going to do with him. He said, you'll be great. The sheaves of your brothers will bow to you. So in your family, you'll be the greatest. Not only that, the sun, the moon, and the stars will all bow to you. And his father correctly interpreted that that you mean I and your mother and then all your siblings will about you. But he says he, 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 he marked that. That was the destiny Joseph was had. But you see him for about 13, 14 years in slavery, in prison. Now you can think that that's, if God wants to, he has given a prophetic word, he's going to move you into this area. That's, you should go to the best schools, Harvard, Oxford, and then you know, prepare for what is going to happen. You're going to be prime minister, so you need to have the best education and all that. But no. He went through what he went through. There's nothing. In fact, he was going down, down, down. But you know, one thing always struck me when I read that scripture. At every point, it would say, and God was with him. How can God be with you? Then one Jezebel will now just... You stand for God. And you know, what is also remarkable is, when Potiphar's wife tempted him, he didn't say, I will sin against Potiphar, who was the husband and the rightful owner of the woman. But he said, I will sin against God. And he stood his ground, and then he was still castigated and thrown in jail. You would think if God was with him, those things will not happen. But you see, when you read Psalm 105, you begin to understand if we look at Psalm 105, and we take it from about verse 16, it says, Moreover, God called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread, and then he sent a man before them, Joseph. Now, remember, Joseph was sold by his brothers. He was... Sent to prison by Potiphar's wife. So all that happened was just tragedy, as we would call it. But the Bible says God sent him. It says they were sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. And so, when you see in, I think it's Genesis 49 or 48, when he revealed himself to his his brothers, he says, don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, the Lord has made good. So he understood the purpose of all he went through. I can imagine those years. you were be saying, God, but why now? As one man said, if I be you, I be, I for, if you be me, I will help you now. <laughs> but it's as if God turned a blind eye. But that scripture in verse 19, it says, until the time that his word came. And this was literal overnight. He was in prison. They send for him, he becomes prime minister. Only Nollywood can give that kind of script. He is not normal. But that's exactly what I'm saying. When the opportunity came, he was prepared. Now, his period of preparation didn't look like the preparation for what was coming. But it made him qualified for what was coming. Because everything he went through was meant to break certain things in him. Remember, when he had the dreams, he must have been arrogantly telling his brothers, your sheaves will bow to mine. I'm better than you. I'm better. I'm better. That's probably what he did. Because for them to be so riled up with him, he needed to learn guard your mouth. He also needed to learn how to handle the problem that would come. And you saw he managed Potiphar's house, and he managed the prison. So he had practical training. He didn't need to go to Harvard. Because if you're in supply chain management, you understand that that problem Pharaoh had is just simple, you have farming coming, you have plenty now, store. Create a system that will make sure it can reach everywhere in the land. What he did was not rocket science. It wasn't fantastic, it was just you can just do, you know, all those people, they'll do flow chat, one thing, one thing, one thing. And that's what it was. But he didn't go to university to learn all that. He learnt it in managing Potiphar's house. Now, if you go back to Potiphar, it said Potiphar did not know what he had. He only knew the clothes he was wearing and the food he was eating, because it was left to Joseph. What is very instructive is Joseph was a slave. In those days, if you were a slave and you had a child in the house of your master, the child belonged to the master. You have no consequence. But Potiphar was comfortable to leave everything to Joseph. He must have trusted him implicitly. He was trusting his life. So even when the wife tempted him, if Joseph was a bad guy, he would just tell Potiphar, choose your wife or your money. And I think part of that I've chosen the money. So all that prepared Joseph for that one moment. Pharaoh comes. I had a dream, and he just interprets it correctly and tells him what needs to be done. And Pharaoh says, "Of a truth, only the one with the gods in him can do this." And say, "You are that man." Now the other thing to notice: remember, before he came out of prison, he had to shave. Egyptians were always bored, there was was sacrilege to have hair. And the Israelites always had hair as shepherds, they were always bearded. Even to this day, the rabbis, everything must be bearded. You see, if if your hair not, they grow, sorry you can't be a rabbi. So, he brought a hidden abomination to come and solve the problem. Opportunity, when it comes, if you're not ready, it's a waste. Another illustration, David. God anointed David as king over Israel. But it took 13 plus years of him being a fugitive, acting like a madman, having the opportunity twice to kill Saul, but not taking it. Because his heart smote him that you cannot touch the anointed of the Lord. You are the one who, when they anointed you, they said you are king over Israel. Not that it's hearsay, they told you. Then immediately just start running for your life. The idea thing is, take the guy out and just take the throne. But there was a reason. He had to be prepared. Because if you go back to when Saul was made king. The people asked for a king. God said, you don't need a king. That if you have a king, he will plunder you. He will marry your wives. He will do this. He will take your property and all that. They said, we want a king like all the other lands. And he says, okay. So when God ordained for them to have a king, the things he wanted needed to be wired into that person. It was instructive that David was a shepherd boy because his people are sheep. And you must lead sheep. Sheep don't know any better. They just go around and meh, meh, and going around. You need to be able to corral them together, channel them right. You have to have a heart. Jesus is the shepherd. He says of the hundred, one gets missing. He leaves the 99 to go after that one. If you don't have that heart, you can't be that king God wants. And so David had to be wired with all that. He had to go through that season of breaking that he might be the right one. So when it was time, he became king. But that season of madness was actually preparation. Moses, he was also ordained to be a leader to lead Israel out of bondage. He spent 40 years in the best of what Egypt had to offer to understand. So the strategy could have been, you know, a mole, plant him in there so that he learns and then he can be the one to take over because he knows. But that's not God's way. Because God's mandate for him was to lead his people out. Three million, they were on sheep, they were goats. No on goats. Say go here, say no. So the mandate was to move those people out. You need to know how to handle them. So all his criteria was, was not okay. So God took him for 40 more years to the backside of the wilderness, doing nothing, but just looking after sheep. Not even his own, borrowed sheep. By the time God came to call him, he couldn't, he said, it's not me. His self-confidence would have been broken to go to that Egypt again for to do what now? Where am I? But that's exactly the preparation he needed. Because God said to him, you'll be God to Pharaoh. You'll be as God to Pharaoh. And when he went, he went in the power of what God had spoken. 40 years preparation. Look through scripture, you'll find everywhere. There's always preparation. But that preparation doesn't look like preparation. It looks like turmoil. It looks like darkness. Esther, perhaps you have been born for such a time as this. But everything up till then was preparation. I can keep going on and on. Paul, when after Damascus, the experience on the way to Damascus, if you piece it together, he actually spent some years in the backside of Arabia, more than 10 years, to download. For him to write two-thirds of the New Testament, he needed to hear clearly. He needed to hive off everything he knew. He needed to be prepared. A lawyer in his right, topmost lawyer, to become a tent maker and be content doing that. It takes a lot. You have read all the degree. You've gone to professor, everything. Then they just say, leave it aside and come and be doing tent. In all of this, I'm hoping that you're engaging your mind on the things God has said to you. and bridging the gap between where you are and where he wants you to be. And understanding that it is uncomfortable for some you're actually going through literal hell right now not knowing what to do not not knowing how to pay your rent not knowing how to it is a season of preparation understand it for what it is and embrace it because the time comes when that moment of opportunity comes you must be ready Your mind must be as fleet, set as flint on that target, irrespective of what is going on. Because if you don't, if you don't lay hold, it will pass you by. And this greatest tragedy is for the things God has spoken over you to come to pass and you're not found ready. I know the times are very difficult. I know. I know for many, we look good, but if we sat and talked one on one, the things people are going through are heartbreaking. The things are heartbreaking. Sometimes you don't even know what to do, you don't even know how to feel for the person. I know. But I know that God is not a wicked God is a God who says that I know the thoughts I have towards you. And I think that word is for you, my dear sister. It's for you. The thoughts I have towards you are thoughts of good, not of evil. To give you a hope and a future. Another version says to give you an expected end. That means the end is clear. Irrespective of what is going on, The end is sure. And you must keep your eyes on that end and look for what do I need to get there. Not mindful of what you're going through. As someone said to me once, if you read the New Testament, it always says, it came to pass. Every situation will pass. Nothing is permanent except eternity. know what's in your heart I don't know what you're desiring of God but I also know one of the problems is mismatched expectations what you're holding on to is not what God wants for you and no matter how much you hit your head on the wall it won't come to pass this is a season to go back to God to hear clearly what he wants for you sometimes he tells you something he's just like I listened to something <laughs> Benson Daosa recently, a message he gave years ago. And he was saying when he went to, um, was it Tulsa? He was with a person he called his spiritual father and they he was going to be commissioned and he said they took him to three houses to choose in three different parts of the town. And he says progressively the houses were just wow. And he just came to one house and he said, The house, swimming pool, everything was like, ah, the house was worth over a million dollars. Hey, He said, this is the house. So they went back home. He said that night, God came and told him, if you stay in this place, I will kill you. (laughs) He said, said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) That cannot be the voice of God. Get behind me. (laughs) Sometimes we are binding what God has said because it doesn't look like. How can they give you that kind of house? You don't have. He says the ministry was making three thousand, the three thousand people max, and they, their offering is three thousand. <laughs> then they tell you house one million plus, and it's and God. Will tell, it can't be God. Cannot be God. You have been praying for breakthrough. Then the breakthrough comes, and then they tell you it's not. It's, it's truly Satan. Many of us are like that, really, because it doesn't seem like there's a way that seems right unto man. But it is a way unto destruction. The ways of God are very, sometimes they are iffy. They don't make sense. But as certainly, as he says, that song, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, your name will be hallowed. Your word will stand. His word is eternal. So it's a season to go back to God. And ask him to reveal his purposes for you. That you might walk in them. Because there are very certain key signposts in this season. Obedience is one of them. The price of partial or full disobedience is very costly. Very costly. Now more than ever. You can't afford to be like Saul. They said kill. God had a plan. Amalek, you know, in the mind of God, he doesn't think about one time. He thinks eternity. So when he says something, it has implications for eternity. And many times we are locked into what we're seeing at the time. And we limit ourselves to that. And don't know that you're playing with something. Because God, when Amalek attacked Israel when they were coming out of Egypt, God swore, I will wipe them out. And then in the time of Saul, that's when he planned to do it. And said, kill everything. Man, woman, child, animal, everything. Kill. But Saul, he kept, you know, the, the cows we have. That, you know, there are some cows you see. They don't look like cows, they look like lion. They are very healthy. Those were the kinds of cows. So Saul just sorted out and said, This one you can. These ones, let's keep them and sacrifice to God. That was partial obedience and it cost him the kingdom. You know, just to illustrate, when God looks at something, he holds us accountable for something. It's not about time. You know, in the time of Joshua, God said to Joshua, do not make a league with anyone from any of the near nations because they are are contaminated. The Gibeonites came with trickery they dressed up in torn clothes as if they were coming from a long distance, poured sand on themselves, made them look like made themselves look like they were traveling far, carried bread that had gone stale to seem like they were coming from far. The water was, you know, you know, just came looking that way. And Joshua, you know, hey, uh, just said, Okay, let's make the league. And God just told him, You have entered one chance. And Joshua was annoyed. He says, But you must stand by the covenant you made. You see, let me not go to my pet subjects. Don't make pledges that you cannot keep. Exodus says God looks at you well as a fool. When you make a pledge, you can't keep. A pledge, a promise, whatever. Be very mindful. Let your word be your bond. Because you attract something from God that you shouldn't when you don't. So God said you must stand by that covenant. Even though they tricked you. In Joshua 10, you see where the Gibeonites called on Joshua that we are being attacked. Come and save us. By virtue of the covenant, that's what he had to do. So even though it was wrong people, and he saying, good for you, Kuku suffer it, he had to go. And that's where God did a notable miracle by Joshua, where he said, sun, moon, stand still until I destroy this. And that's what happened. But you will see in the time of David, more than 700 years later, there was a time, there was a plague that came upon Israel. And David inquired of the Lord and found out that it was because of the Gibeonites. This same Gibeonites from the time of Joshua. Saul's descendants had slaughtered them. And that's why the plague came. So David said, What can we do to make restitution? He said, We don't want any more people from Israel to die. Just take 10 of Saul's descendants and hang them on the pole. And he did that and the plague stopped. Now, this is a covenant that was caught in deceit. But more than 700 years later, God is still holding them accountable for that. I'm trying to get you to understand the God we serve. He holds true to what he says. It's not about time. It's not about happenings. What he says stands. So when he gives you a word, as sure as day, that word must come to pass. It does not matter what you are seeing or what you are doing it must come to pass. And so I re-echo what I've said. Embrace the preparation you're going through. Go back to him to recalibrate what exactly am I meant to be doing in this season. For some of us, the job market is crazy. Jobs are literally being erased as we embrace AI, AI, as COVID ravages, things just shift in many directions. Your job just literally just goes irrelevant. You become redundant. What should you be doing at that time? As you see God, if he's dropping in your heart, agriculture, what should you do? You don't have savings. It's not the problem. What is he saying? Because as you seek him, he begins to open doors. And you begin to prepare yourself. What trainings do I need to do? There's, there are free trainings all over the internet. So it's not that I don't have money. You know? <laughs> because when the time comes, and I'm speaking to myself, because there are certain things God has said that, even me, have been discounting because I cannot see how that thing is going to happen. It doesn't make sense. season is a season where you should be getting prepared because when it comes you must be ready quickly just because I can end here I know I would penned down some things you know because you ask yourself sometimes that that space of preparation is is a bit slippery trying to come to terms with what it is in each situation, there'll be very basic differences that you can't really put your hand around. You're not clear. How do I hear God? There are certain principles I picked. you know, and I, I enjoin you to read the book of Joshua a bit. The Joshua generation was the generation that walked into the promised land. God had given that promise, promise to Moses for years. They roamed around 40 years. But in that season, they were the ones who entered. And there were certain things that they did. And I I just want to go to Joshua 5. And I'll just use it to signpost a few things. So remember, God said to Moses, take them out of Egypt. And in the scripture he said, I brought them out that I might take them in to give them. That was God's plan. I take you out, take you in, and then I give you. That's what he planned. Moses was to take them to the promised land. But because of what he did, God said, you will not take them in. And because of what Israel did, he says, all of you will die, except Joshua and Caleb. So in, right there at that point, you see three generations. The Moses generation, the wilderness generation, and the Joshua generation that will enter in. All in that wilderness. And if you don't understand you, the configuration you're being called to, you can't function properly. So, in Joshua 5, or standing from 3, read 3 to 5. One, just read Joshua 1 to 5 on your own time. But you see where God said in 3 that they should consecrate themselves to him. Joshua chapter 3, I'm talking of, not 5, 3. Consecrate yourselves to me for three, for three days because he's going to come and visit them. And then he goes ahead to talk about cross the Jordan, about the priests stepping in with the ark into the Jordan and we know what happens he parted the Jordan so at a town called Adam he stopped the waters and the waters drained and then they walked on dry ground and then when they came out the waters continued he did that right in front of Jericho the main city in that Canaanite land at the time so in the time of, with Rahab, Rahab said when the spies came, I'm just trying to paint a lot of context. I don't have the time to go through the scriptures. That's why I said, please read Joshua 1 to, 1 to 5. Rahab said to the spies, and during the uh, Rebuild Conference, I, I explained that Rahab had revelation from God. A hidden, asheu, she had revelation from God because she was talking about the Lord, the name of God that they called God. She said, The Lord has put dread, your dread upon us. This is before even the Jordan. He has put your dread upon us. And that we're afraid, and we know that He has given us into your hand. Spare me and my family when you come. And then now God does exactly that and parts the Jordan. Even if you don't believe in supernatural, you see the thing. <laughs> your heart will cut. That people just carry one piece of wood, enter water, water open, then they walk, and then they come and they think waters going again. Ah, uh, <laughs> your heart will cut. There's no way, <laughs> it's not possible. And so he had done that, and they now came. You would think that's the time to take the land, but no. Chapter 5. God says in verse 2: it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua. Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. Since all the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt except Joshua and Caleb. So the generation of the wilderness were uncircumcised. They were not covenanted to God. Because circumcision was a sign of the covenant with God. So they were out of covenant. For you to go into what God has for you, you must be in covenant. So much as God had done all these displays and made it time for them to enter, they couldn't enter because they were not covenanted. They were not walking in covenant. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. It goes on and on and on. In 7 it says that Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising that they stayed in the places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day... That's a scripture? Okay, no, that's not the one I spoke to Pastor Mo. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It says, therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. It says, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna. But they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. What I want to pull out of this is this. One, because they were not in covenant, they could not enter in. And today, I enjoin you to come back into covenant with God. Because I dare say many of us have struggled because... We're out of covenant and there are implications for that. When your heart is right and you're in right alignment with God, things will work. The scripture have operated in the last few years. It says, if your ways are pleasing to God, He will cause even your enemies to be at peace with you. And so my, 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 my mindset changed. Rather than looking to pray against the enemies, my prayer is, Lord, let my ways please you. Because when your ways please God, he is duty bound to make sure you're okay. Even without you praying. Because he says, "My, my eyes are going to and fro over the earth, looking for those whose hearts are perfect towards me, that I might show myself strong on their behalf. So you won't even need to pray. God will arise against your enemies. There are some things that blow your mind. When God says, in Isaiah 43, because you are precious in my sight, I will give men and nations as a ransom. That scripture never ceases to blow my mind. Because of you, he just you're precious to him. So anybody is ready to give a nation, a nation up for you. Those are very weighty words. So my heart cries, Lord, let my ways please you. May you be pleased with me. I'm, not, I'm far from perfect. As you get quanta, I get quanta too. But my heart cries, Lord, I just want to please you. Because when I get into that space, I know I'm safe. I'm safe. That's why the presence of God means a lot to me. Because if I'm there, you can't go the bagger to try and get in there. So, I I just enjoy you today. It's a time of consecrating yourself afresh to God. It's not just about today. It's a season. Because the things that God will open unto you in this season will blow your mind. Just being in alignment will shift many things. It's going to mean cutting off things, people, habits, just that act of lining up with God would change a lot for you. The second thing, and I mean, it says Gilgal was the place. And it says the place of rolling away of reproach. As you consecrate yourself, he rolls away reproach. He removes things. Colossians 2.14 talks about the handwriting Every writing against you being completely erased, wiped away on the, at the cross. It says there are legal things enforced against you. So it's even the willing captive. Because you come to the place of consecration, he can cleanse everything. Verse 10 to 12 talks about them coming to the edge of the promised land. And it says... From that day, you know, for 40 years, every single day, manna came. They didn't lack. The only skill they needed was to gather manna and they would eat. But it says this day, they began to eat of the fruit of the land. That implies tilling ground. Manna ready-made. Food from the land, you have to Teal it, process it, cook it, before you eat it. There's a marked shift from here to here. There's a different mindset you need to go from here to here. All you needed to do in the time past was just go out and gather the manna. And you've learned how much to gather. Because remember, if you gather more than it will go rotten. So you know the quantity. So in fact, you have the pot that's for manna. Manna pot. You just carry it, fill it, you know it's enough. But on this side, you need to come to the place where you have understanding. Because immediately the fruit of the land, it says manna ceased. That season of grace is gone. This is the season where if you don't plant, you don't eat. That's why you need to skill up. Upgrade your thinking, your qualifications, in whatever space you are. I'm trying to make it practical because many times we just think the solution is to find another job. What do you bring to the table in the new dispensation we find? Why would someone trust you when they can hire Outsourcing is the game. AI is bringing all kinds of effective solutions that you don't need people. Why do we need you? What would make you relevant to people is what you should be asking. Even if it's in a field that is not your field. I took the trouble To go and register myself in a program on agribusiness, it has nothing to do with what I'm doing. I just feel there's something there and I didn't know, I just spent plenty of money to go and do the program. I still haven't done anything with it, but I know there was a nudge and I followed it. Because the mindset you have for the manna season is not the mindset you need for the fruit of the land season. And that's the season of preparation that you need to go through. I can't define what yours will be, but I'm confident when you go back to God, there are things he's been saying to you already, that you're either discounting us because it doesn't make sense, or it doesn't seem like, or where he's telling you you are going to go, is too far-fetched, that even only we can't write that script. There are three phases you find in transitions. There's, a, there's a, first, a first stage of where you have to separate yourselves from the manner things for the new season to come. There are things you need to leave behind you because they're not going to help you. And so Elisha, and in fact, I had determined this was what I was going to speak about, and then I listened to something yesterday, church in Abuja, was speaking about exactly this, and some of the things I was going to say, it just blew my mind. But what I'm going to say now, I picked from that, because it, it, it just wrapped up some things for me. The season of separation, you must let go of certain things. Elisha, when Elijah said, follow me, he just threw a mantle on him, he didn't even say anything to him. He says, I need to follow you, but first I must go. He, you know, he had 12 yoke of oxen, that means 24 oxen. Most people have one too. He was wealthy. He was a well-established livestock farmer. He, he sacrificed all. He didn't pass them to somebody else. He sacrificed them all. That meant if he came back, there was nothing to come back to. So he was burning that bridge. And then the wood, he used it to even do the fire. So there was nothing to come back to. Sometimes there's a need to separate yourself from what is behind. Because of, like they say, you can't open one door till you've let go of the other door and locked it for good and thrown the key away. Some of us are going to come into that season from some more radical than others. Because until you can let go of this, you can't lay hold on that. The second season is the season of the transition itself. It's like, Going through a tunnel, there's darkness. That's why I understand this about the darkness. In that period, you can't move freely because you can't see. You're going to have to depend on God. You're going to have to depend on His direction. But there's light at the end of the tunnel. But going through the tunnel is a very difficult phase. And the last phase is a season of coming into establishment or, or the full manifestation. That's coming onto the side of the foot of the land. You need to depict where you are and begin to prepare yourself for. The, the, if you know the nature of each phase, you can prepare yourself appropriately. I'm talking very broadly because there are too many issues people have and are going through. I can't address them specifically, but I'm trying to give you some principles to understand. One, There are some things you're going to have to let go of. Two, as you go through an an uncertain period, a dark period, you need to keep your eye on God. A blind person being led must either hold onto a shoulder of someone who is going, or use his leg or hands to try and feel the way. You need to be very careful. In that season and follow the things God will say to you. Because if you are leading someone who is blind, my late father, his eyesight wasn't too good. It was quite bad, but you won't know. Because if you're walking with him and say, Step coming up, he didn't want you to lead him. So you had to learn to tell him, step coming up, incline. You had to just let him know. And he will see him walking confidently. You won't know. That season for us must be one of absolute obedience to God. Because you step out of line, you fall down. That is the most critical season for us. And many of us are in there right now. But instead of trying to find a way, we are shouting, see my life, help me, nothing is going to happen, nobody is going to come. But you need to be able to find God and begin to follow. I dare say for some of us, you have been in that despair, but as you take your mind back to God, He'll begin to point you in certain directions. As you follow them. You no, know, it's not that God who gives you 10 instructions. He gives you one. If you follow it, He gives you the next. If you don't follow it, you keep going around like Israel for 40 years, round and round and round and round, till you take that step. You will repeat that exam where, where. Three, for the new season and in that second season he will lead you and prompt you in the directions you need to take to build capacity. Isaiah 54 is very key for me at this point where it says in 2-3 that enlarge the place of your tent stretch forth the curtains of your habitation lengthen your cords strengthen your stakes it says because you're going to break out on the right and on the left before the breakout comes the Increase in capacity. You don't build the capacity when the breakout comes because you won't have enough room to carry it. So you first increase, and many times when you do that, it doesn't make sense. Noah built an ark for 120 years. I can imagine everybody passing, will be doing him like this. That is gone cuckoo. But he built it for the time that was coming. A lot of the things you will do in this season, if you sit back and think, they won't make sense to you. If you try to make sense of it, you will never go far. It is a season to let God be God. Let's rise this morning. I came to provoke something in you. I see a time of transition and of shifts. God is moving people into places you dreamed about. I feel this is a season of long forgotten dreams coming to manifestation. But it comes by releasing yourself to him. Thanks for listening to this message from The Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at elo.ecclesiahills.org. At